Want to talk about a new movie? Check. Want to talk about an older movie similar or related to that new movie? Check. That's what you can expect from Quality Check Podcast. It's a new podcast on the Studio DNA Network hosted by yours truly, Drew Douglas and Daniel Posey. Every other Tuesday, we'll talk about a new movie and an old movie to see how the film's quality holds up. Alrighty. Let's make it happen, Captain. Let's do it. From a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks, a podcast that is made with 100% rainwater, it's Sif Pop. Welcome to Sif Pop Weekly, streaming live some weekends or available to download later in your podcast, mm-hmm, your podcast feed, <laughs> unless of course you're a patron. But pickles get perks! <laughs> Was that a pickle, Rick? That was amazing. Yeah. That was amazing. Pickle Rick! <laughs> Patrons get those pickles. I'm your host, Aaron Dicer, and I dig a ditch with half a shovel for him. It's Andrew Ormsby. Ahoy! Each week, we'll chat about movies, television, and whatever else from the pop culture universe is on our minds. Uh, how you holding up, man? How you doing? I'm doing good. I was a... Uh... I was a little late to the podcast today because I'm building cabinets in my garage and Ooh. time got away from me. Building cabinets? What's that What's that like? Uh, saws, hammers, nails, screws, loud noise, and wood. <laughs> I've, I've heard of wood. What are these hammers, screws, and nails that you're talking about? I've, these, these sound like amazing things. You just... You, you smash like the Hulk. Nice. And then when you're... Hopefully when you're done, you have something that <laughs> looks kind of, you know... A semblance of something you could possibly buy in a store. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. Um, I, yeah. That's very cool. I, you know, uh, my wife is the builder in our home, and she builds a lot of fun stuff, uh, and uh, likes to, you know, do work with her, with her hands. And I'm the one that likes to, you know, veg and watch pop culture, and you know, possibly think up funny things to say and write. <laughs> so, mm. you know. I, 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 wor- I work with my uh, with my brain more than my hands uh, as far as like that goes. So I, I have so much respect for you being able to get out there and make your own cabinets. That's amazing. Yeah, it's been pretty fun. I like doing little stuff like that. It keeps, you know, the mind occupied and stuff. Yeah, and let me be clear. I'm not saying when you work with your hands, you don't use your brain. That was not my intent at all. Oh, uh, I didn't. That's not what I thought you meant. <laughs> no, I'm just, I was just thinking of how I worded that. No, when mm. you can work with your hands and brain, that's better than just being able to work with your brain is what I was saying. Anyhow. Yeah. Uh, pr- yeah. Pretty amazing stuff. Um, I did notice, and we'll talk a little bit about this uh, before we get into the rest of the show, which, by the way, I'm excited. We've got uh, the Seth Rogen movie in American Pickle. We're going to talk about best ever Seth Rogen movies. We have to have a Sift Quest that somebody sent in, um, yeah. which you can do. Feedback at SiftPop.com or hit me up on Twitter. I haven't had one of those in a while. Yeah. Uh, it, was nice. it was nice to see. So uh, maybe, the, you know, the, it kind of happens sometimes where once you, like, that segment doesn't show up because we don't have a, a question or something like that, and then people kind of forget about it, but maybe now that somebody sent one in, maybe other people will send them in, and that's fine. We're, you know, either yeah. way, we're here to answer any questions you have. Um, so we'll do that, and of course we've got our buried treasure. But I wanted to talk a little bit up uh, off the top because um, maybe just as kind of our sole do we care because I care. Uh, mm. Finally, officially, the Paramount decree 
was removed. So we are officially living in a world now where content providers can buy theaters. And my question to you, Andrew, is which company is the first to own a chain of theaters? Who do you think will get there first? Well, initially I want to say Disney, but honestly, either Universal or Warner Brothers. It's interesting. I, you know, a lot of people think it'll be one of the streaming platforms. Um, yeah, you know, Netflix. I thought about Netflix, but I don't think that Netflix has enough original content to, you know, cater to that. It has to be a company, or I should say, a production company that, you know, puts out enough content to justify owning and operating a theater platform solely for their content. Yeah. So Universal, Warner Brothers, and Disney. Because Disney has enough within its umbrella, you know, Marvel, uh, Fox, uh, Pixar, and even Star Wars, you know. I think that Disney has enough, you know, you know, within their category that they could make their own. But, uh, yeah, Paramount is an interesting one. Yeah, I, I overall, I've been saying this for a long time, um, and uh, this, is, this is something I, I think is inevitable, um, I, I really do think the content providers will use uh, these physical locations across the country as uh, a part of the subscription service uh, that they're offering. In other words, like added bonus for your, you know, uh, let's say Disney. Disney Plus is still like seven bucks a month or something, right? It's ridiculous. Uh, I have no idea. I just did that yearly yeah, payment me too. thing. Me too. So. Um, <laughs> but like, so then they're, maybe they're like, hey, for 20 bucks a month, you know, you get Disney Plus, you get ESPN, you get Hulu, and you get admission to our local, you know, theater slash amusement parks, um, which makes a lot of sense for Disney. I, I, I really see this making the most sense for Disney. However, I don't know that they're going to be the first to pull the trigger. Um, Netflix uh, has bought a couple theaters, but I don't think I just don't think it's something they want to take on right now. Um, I, I could be wrong. Um, you think Apple? I think Amazon. That's my guess. Amazon. I would be smart because they they have so much more. That, like actual physical location is important to their delivery service as well. And um, there's a way that they could almost turn a theater chain into kind of a, uh, a like a product hub as well, which is just fascinating to me. So I wonder if Amazon might be the first to go there. Um, but I think it's going to happen fairly soon. Uh, if 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 the theaters get delayed anymore, I think AMC will sell. I think they've barely got enough to get to the end of this as it is. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think within the next year, you'll see somebody pull the trigger on one of those sales. Mm. It's going to be interesting. interesting. It will be, yeah. Uh, just the, the effect that COVID has had on like it's created so many opportunities for things that people might have been hesitant because without COVID, I don't know if this would have been something that would have been pushed for years down the line, but I think it's really fast tracked it. Yeah. I, I think so. it's sped up the whole uh, process of the evolution of movie theaters. I think it's sped it up five to 10 years. Um, yeah. I, I really feels that way. And that's tough because it gives the, I say tough, I mean, these are multi-million dollar companies, but you know, it's, it's more difficult for them because 
evolution is supposed to be a longer process and this is like quick fire evolution and that's a little more difficult uh to, to try to figure out so um it'll be interesting to see where all the chips uh lie but i saw that that had finally happened this last week and so you know you it, it really could be any day any day you could see a headline you know disney buys amc or you know amazon buys regal theaters or you know whatever the case may be yeah yeah, yeah, I th- I think that's a I think that's where we'll end up. I think we'll end up with you know four probably major players uh, that you know uh, own and produce most of the content, and each of them will have a distribution system throughout the country. You know, um, so yeah, mm. fun times. Don't know how I feel about it, but uh, we'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> you know, but there Aaron- there are elements of it that that I like that I'm excited about, and then there are other elements where I'm like, you know, how does this hurt the creative process and i think that's yet yeah. to be seen i i truly believe creativity is one of those things that you, it's not you can't kill it like you just can't there will always be an outlet for unique interesting ideas and uh and that's just especially with technology the way it is and people can just do it themselves more than ever uh you're able to get your stuff out there so i just i just don't think you can kill that no uh yeah I, i'm right there with you it's just that uh, with things like YouTube making it easy for people to access, you know, stuff like that. But at the same time, whenever we talk about, you know, four major players, I do believe that competition does, you know, lead to better quality content because, you know, you're always trying to prove that you're the best. But when you only have four other, like, major players that you're trying to compete against, it can kind of give you a false sense of security and uh, make you you know, feel like you don't need to try as hard to earn people's money for entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. I might just be, that might just be a conspiracy theory or whatever, but it's just something that, you know, I've always been worried about because I like good stuff. Yeah. Aaron. Yeah. I get it. I get it. Uh, I'm going to draw, I'm going to draw my prediction right now and then we're going to move on. Uh, it, It is going to be the, the major content players are going to be Netflix, Warner, uh, Universal and Disney, and then the others like uh, Apple. I think is going to drop out. I think they're going to go back to hardware. Um, I don't mm-hmm. think the content game is for them. Uh, Amazon is going to be an interesting one because they obviously have the money to do whatever they want, and if they think it's viable, they'll keep making content. But I have a, a sneaking suspicion that Amazon will be more uh, like selling their content to some of the other companies. Um, I could be wrong about that. Um, I think the physical, you know, delivery, that kind of stuff is kind of where they'll, they'll be. And then the others I think will get bought up. I just think they will. Um, CBS Viacom is probably the biggest of those. Uh, and I don't know who's going to, you know, have the resources to, to buy up CBS. I mean, that's, that's a big property. Um, probably universal I'd imagine. Yeah. It might be five, you know, maybe throw Viacom in there. I don't know, but, uh, that's, that's my prediction currently. Uh, all right. That's going to wrap it up for Do We Care? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right. Let's head into our review of an American pickle. In old country of Shlopska, I am ditch digger. As far as drugs in Shlopska, it's pretty good. We are the Greenbounds, and we have American dream. I find good job in pickle factory. Sarah, I make this vow. 100 years, our family will prosper. And then one day, everything changed. 
An immigrant worker falls into a vat of pickles and is brined for a hundred years. The brine preserves him perfectly, and when he emerges in present-day Brooklyn, he finds that he hasn't aged a day. Uh, this is a Seth Rogen uh, project. He stars uh, as two different roles in this. Um, Simon Rich wrote the script. Uh, he produced it. Uh, Seth Rogen produced it with uh, Evan Goldberg and James Weaver. Um, on HBO Max, so this is a Warner property. Uh, what did you think, Andrew? Did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, so, like, medium high side of liked it? Uh, high side of liked it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm right there with you. Uh, I, I, I really enjoyed this movie and, yeah. uh, and, and had a... Had a good time, although not just a good time. There's there's a lot of uh, pathos here that I, I wasn't necessarily expecting. So, um, oh yeah, definitely afterwards I was uh, the movie had me thinking. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, like it's not uh, as soon as the movie ends, you're you're done with it. It sticks with you and makes you think for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll kick us off on this one. I feel like my overall understanding of this movie, it really feels like. Seth Rogen, and I'm guessing the screenplay writer as well, are dealing with, uh, like, wrestling with their history, their heritage, their, uh, you know, the movie is not, it's not a subtle metaphor, uh, but it is something that is, um, it's not, you know, like, in your face either, but the idea of how we all have to deal with where we came from, how that has informed us, who we are, um, and and I think this movie just makes it very real and blatant and puts it right in front of you. You know, if your great grandfather uh, showed up at the same age you are, what would they think of you? And I think that's a really interesting thought experiment for all of us to kind of think about. You know, how the world has changed in a hundred years. Um, and honestly, in the grand scheme of things, a century, not that long, but things have changed so much. Uh, oh, yeah. so it's, it's, it's one of those things where I think the concept, the core concept is so strong that, uh, that it carries through really well. Oh yeah. I've always been a fan of like the, uh, you would call it man out of time or fish out of water premise for a film, you know? Sure. And I think that this one really does lead to some very interesting commentary, on modern society, how we're so inundated and obsessed with materialistic possessions and desires that we forget what made generations before us so great. You know, hard work, simple pleasures, family, and uh, in some cases, faith. How all those things just, that's all you needed back then. Mm-hmm. And we kind of forget that. I think that Seth Rogen does a very good job in this, playing two different people. For the for most of the movie, I was not distracted. There were I there weren't times where I was thinking, "Oh, there's two Seth Rogans." I just believed he was Ben, and I believed he was Herschel. Yeah, I totally agree. I th- I think he's great. Um, I think he does really really well here. Yeah. Uh, I know we're already in pros, but I'm just gonna jump to con real quick because sure. it kind of it deals with what I was saying that. Uh, I don't think that the film does unfair, or the film does unfairly and unreal, unrealistically promote a belief that 
if you just work hard, success will come to you. Uh, I know the film has many elements of it that are played to a ridiculous extreme. The whole plot is, really. <laughs> um, if you think about it, this it's just a really ridiculous movie. Uh, I like at the beginning where they're just like, oh, okay, yeah, it makes sense. Uh, but, but with this, it felt like it was trying to say that the grit and hard work ethic of older generations is now lost on a needy generation that just needs to buck up. And if you just buck up and work hard, uh, you'll be successful. I think that that can be even a kind of dangerous mentality if that's what the movie's trying to say. Because if you're saying that people today don't work hard compared to ha- people you know back in the day, life was harder. But I don't think that a work ethic has changed all that much for people to realize uh, what they need. I think that people just want different things than what they wanted back then. Does that make sense, what I'm trying to say? I think, yeah, I think I understand what you're trying to say. Um, I didn't feel that the movie strongly was indicating that. I think, to me, it was kind of drawing comparisons to the idea that uh, the way you work hard, worked hard 100 years ago is different than the way you work hard today. And, and honestly, uh, the things that rang the truest to me were those moments where he would see the world and and be like, how easy do you have it? And that's true. And I think that's something we do need to kind of keep our uh, mind open to is that technological progress and just human progress in general has moved us into a world where things are easier. That's just, you know, and that's, that's good. That's the goal. Like, it doesn't mean that hard work isn't rewarded. It just means that that hard work is different and doesn't have to be, uh, you know, as as manual labory as it used to be. Um, and I think that's healthier. That's um, in some ways. Uh, and and so I, I I think the movie was drawing a distinction more than it was saying, um, you know, look how lazy this generation is. I didn't really feel that as like an overall point of the movie. Yeah. Well, I, I guess it's. Just- because of, you know, the the things that happen with Herschel in this and, you know, just things working for him that uh, it just made me feel like, so is the movie trying to tell me that if everybody just bucked up that this could work for them? That I didn't know if that's what the movie was trying to say or a commentary. I didn't know if it was a commentary saying that our modern generation is just lazy. No, I... I mean, I didn't see that. Um, I what I saw was that he instituted a, an old school version of hard work and didn't realize that because times had changed, that that there were other factors to what makes something successful. Um, and so, you know, there's there's almost this this element of you know, sure, quote unquote, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, uh, which by the way is a completely uh, incorrectly used uh, cliche uh, because that cliche is supposed to mean um, you know that it's ridiculous to think you could do something because pulling yourself up by your bootstraps is actually impossible uh, but people yeah. have have taken it to mean you know that it's something you should try to do um, but anyhow yeah. that's that's beside the point uh, <laughs> so so I think it's showing hey yeah you can have a level of success but if you don't you know, respect the world around you, respect how it's changing, you know, those kind of things, it's not going to matter. And so that's the different kind of ethic 
you know, this in in many ways, this this is a comparison between uh, you know work ethic and moral ethic, and uh, mm. and I think that's that's a growth of our culture is that we've started to be concerned about ethics beyond just how hard are you working. Um, so I think there's enough nuance there that I didn't feel it was preachy in one way or another. Yeah, okay. You did mention something, though, and I want you to kind of, you know, go back to it that I found was, re- like, probably one of my favorite things about the movie, and that is uh, going back to the fish out of water, but the appreciation of modern technology and how it makes life easier. We, we kind of saw that, you know, with a Alexa or a scooters or just stuff like that or uh, ma- magic rectangles as he calls them <laughs> yes you, you know uh you know just the the ease of you know uh, the qual- the comforts you know uh that we take for granted you know and i thought that that was you know if there was one thing i wanted to take away from this movie that's what it was is creature comforts and uh how they seem must seem like magic mm-hmm. to uh uh, a, a older generation. Well, and there's a very, very real possibility within the next 50 years that things will, uh, technology will elevate so much more that it will be, um, you know, we will be in the position if we're around, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now of going, uh, you know, these youngsters don't even have to lift a finger and they get all the the food they need, they get all the health they need. Blah blah blah, and and there's this uh, thing of going. You don't know what it was like to have to actually had to go to a job every day, you know, and not just have this yeah. stuff provided for you. Can you imagine living in a world where people just did what they wanted to do because there was enough food, there was enough medicine, there was for everybody, you know? Um, that's a a post scarcity society is is a future that a lot of people don't think about, but it's one of those things that I can see how for me I would feel like. You lazy generation, but there's a part of it that's like, no, this was the goal. <laughs> like this yeah. is this is the goal that people can pursue their passions or what they want to do or or whatever, and not have to worry about food or medicine or you know uh, th- you know life, the staples of life, and um, and so I think you you see that transition from these two, and I think you'll continue to see it again, if, especially if technology continues to. Uh, improve at the you know the exponential rate it has within you know the next 30 40 years so um you know it 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 very well could be an apocalypse but it also very well could be a utopia you just never know how that's gonna go so um yeah i'm gonna get uploaded to san junipero that's all i know all i know is i'm i'm on board for the cyber uh you know the to be a, the, the a cyborg imp, the implants psych augmentation all that yes give it all to me i'm 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 ready uh yeah that's awesome i want i want telescope eyes uh yeah. i want to uh, you know uh sonar ears um yeah i want gills yes gills. Gil, absolutely put the gills in too i'll take the whole package uh for sure yeah uh something that i was thinking about with this movie is that with Ben and Herschel, you see a different dynamic of one's uh, importance or, you know, care for family as opposed to the individual self. Do you think that's a cultural reference or do you think that's a societal reference? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I think that is the main theme of the movie. You know, the stuff we're talking about, you know, work ethic, those kind of things, those, those are yeah. uh, kind of the world we're living in and the foundational things. 
But the overall theme is about family. That's That really is at the heart of this. And not only family, but heritage. That, that's the word that I keep coming back to is, is this is a movie about what is heritage and why is it important and what does it mean and what does it matter? And, you know, I've often said, uh, I was taught very early in my film studies, uh, that you really want to look at what a movie leaves you with before the credit hits, uh, because that is the thing it wants you to take away the most. In this, you know, movie, not to spoil it, leaves us with something that very much speaks to heritage. It speaks to the idea of respecting what has come before you and what you have been given because of those who have come before you and you know, certainly they were different people who lived in a different world with different ideas of what was right and wrong and different ideas of who God is or what religion is or, you know, all of those things you know, maybe have changed for you uh, from your heritage, but that it's valuable to understand what has come before and how it informs you. Uh, and I think that's what this movie is trying to say. Yeah. Uh, my biggest con with the movie, though, uh going off of that is that in the movie there are elements that revolve around uh, Ben and his relationship with his parents. Uh, it's the main driving force for the character, mm -hmm. I think. Yes. But the film, for me, the film never takes that next step to making you truly appreciate what he's going through. And because of this, Herschel is the more fleshed out character and it kind of makes Ben uh, something for Herschel to play off of. As opposed to having two really well-developed characters. I have one really well-developed character because it's the character that everybody is interested in, obviously. Mm -hmm. But I also think that they could have uh, really toned, you know, made Ben more of his own person as opposed to something for Herschel to work with. Yeah. Um, I don't agree with that 100%, but I see what you mean by that. I, I thought... Um, I thought... Uh, the, the Herschel character was um, was pretty well the, the parent stuff was pretty well thought out and I thought the the emotional turn that the movie makes with uh, a certain um, I'm trying to hear how to say it not spoilery but uh, like a, a naming convention uh, I thought that worked it really mm. wor it really worked for me and brought more depth to uh, that character in the same way that it brought more depth to that character for um, the uh the older version um so yeah i think there's i think there's enough there that i felt like both were pretty well understood as humans uh in kind of what they were going through but i see what you're saying it's you know obviously the movie starts with the older uh version yeah. so yeah uh, we we haven't talked about how funny this movie is. I think the movie's really funny. Oh, it's supremely and it's funny. Not, it's not the type of funny that I really see in Seth Rogen movies. It's not pot, raunchy, vulgar humor. This is smart comedy. And I don't want to I don't want it to come across me saying that, you know, vulgar or, you know, weed humor isn't smart. It can be really smart and funny. But this is a different type of comedy that I just really would not expect to see from him. So I got to give him props for that. Yeah. I was going to say the exact same thing. Um, it was funny. Uh, my wife was, uh, I always ask my wife if she wants to watch the movies with me. Um, and I said, you know, I'm going to fire up an American pickle. It's Seth Rogen. She was like, Oh, Seth Rogen. So R rated then, you know, raunch calm kind of thing. And I said, actually PG 13, believe it or not. <laughs> it was like, yeah. it was like, <laughs> you, you almost can't, you almost can't fathom what a PG 13 
Seth Rogen movie is, uh, but I'm here to tell you, <laughs> one exists and it's really good. <laughs> like it's it's I think there is a a beautiful thing that happens uh, that you get to see the. I, I'm so there with you. Uh, you can do raunchcom that is clever, and you can do raunchcom that is good comedy. You can also do raunchcom that is lowest common denominator and just making people laugh because you're talking about body parts and gross things and gross out and whatever. Um, and and that in itself isn't necessarily a horrible thing. Some people enjoy that. Um, you know, for me, I want a little more intelligence, and that can come in and has in some of the Seth Rogen stuff. But what happens in this one is when you strip away that other stuff, you realize how smart it is. You realize at an even greater level how foundationally sound his comedy is. And there are some moments in this that I thought were really funny and that kind of only Seth Rogen could deliver. Um, and I, I just I, I really enjoyed that part of it. It almost felt you, you take some of that stuff away and it almost felt a little Coen Brothers ish. You know, there's kind of a, an, an element of the fantastical to it that the movie kind of, you know, wa- kind of, yeah, you know, walks into yeah. a little bit that, you know, the whole brining thing itself, it almost feels like a Coen Brothers concept um, in some ways. So it's, I don't know, I, I found it, uh, I found it really refreshing to see him do this. And, uh, and again, he's hilarious. He's great in this, but he's great in this for more than being hilarious. He he is emotional. He's real. He's authentic in, in both roles, um, and and still supremely funny. Yeah, um, kind of like you last week with Relic. How by the end of the podcast you decided you liked it a lot more than you initially thought. <laughs> uh, I think I think I'm actually going to upgrade to. I really like this movie because the more I think about it, and the more that I want to think about this movie, I'm realizing. You know what? There's something here. Yeah. And uh, I I could see myself watching this one again. Yeah. Yeah, I think of some very clever, funny moments. Uh, you mentioned the, the scientist moment at the beginning. I thought it was really funny um, the way that was done. There are several other moments like that where the movie almost kind of winks at you and says, you know, I know this is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but does this it? This isn't what matters is what it's saying. This doesn't matter. Right. Yes, exactly. Um, I thought the debate scene was hilarious. Um, oh gosh! <laughs> so yeah, so it's it, it, yeah, this is really funny and really well done. Um, so yeah, I think it's a recommend. Oh yeah, yep, yep. I upgraded. Really liked it. Uh, and it does have a mid credit scene. Uh, in case I don't even wanted. know if you can call it a mid credit scene. It's like a give me ten seconds after the credit start scene. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yep, um, and it's funny. I think it was this movie's yeah. way of going. We still want to be funny, uh, so yeah, it's uh, definitely an interesting look from a man from a hundred years ago uh, at uh, a a movie. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's I think fun. it's the closest to um, that mid credit scene is like the closest to like a a cl- a classic Seth Rogen improv scene. You mm-hmm. know, yeah, but he's improving with himself, which is. What makes it that much more funny at the same time? Yeah. So, yeah, I like it. Yeah. Well, there you go. There you go. Uh, that is an American pickle, and uh, you can check it out on HBO Max. It is streaming there. I don't. I think that's the only place it's available. Uh, yeah. And I don't know that it's out for rental anywhere else. So, um, if you've got HBO Max, you can fire that up, and we would recommend uh, that you do. It's a lot of fun. 
Um, all right, let's head on to the uh, to the best ever challenge, shall we? Let's do it. Uh, we're gonna do Seth Rogen movies. Uh, we'll talk about the our favorite five Seth Rogen movies. Uh, so I should say best ever movies that Seth Rogen is in, which may be a slight yeah. distinction, um, but is an important one. Um, Andrew, why don't you go first with your number five? Yeah, a good thing we made that distinction because my number five, he's in it for about 30 seconds. So I'm going to go with uh, Step Brothers. Yeah, yes. Yeah, whenever uh, Will and John C. Riley are interviewing for the job in their tuxedos mm-hmm. and uh, John C. Riley farts. Uh, he's that's the only time that you're going to see Seth Rogen in that movie. But uh, <laughs> the overall, I think that Step Brothers is one of the best, like Will Ferrell and John C. Riley movies because it's perfect for them. The man child is that's what the movie is. It should have been called Man Children, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and it, it's the perfect casting. And I think that movie is it is it, it's it's an example of what we were talking about earlier. How raunchy comedy can be smart. And I think it is a very smart, funny movie. One of the funniest that Will Ferrell's ever done, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I Step Brothers is great. It, it barely missed my list. Um, yeah. It was Your in my honorable five? mentions. My number five is Kung Fu Panda. Um, yep, I knew it. I knew, actually, it's, I'm surprised you had it uh, that low, honestly. I thought it was going to be higher on your list. This is a good movie. It really is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, uh, as a Pixar guy, uh, you may think that I am opposed to DreamWorks movies. Uh, I am not. Uh, in fact, I have a couple that I really love. And I wouldn't say I really love this one, but I do really like it. And yeah. um, and the, the thing I have with DreamWorks movies a lot of times is the sequelizing kind of makes you forget how good the original is. And I think Kung Fu, Kung Fu Panda falls into that a little bit. And I'm not saying the sequels are awful. I just it makes them feel more like a commodity than an idea. And the original cash grab. Yeah, yeah. And the original idea of Kung Fu Panda is is really good. And by the way, that is not something that uh, you know Pixar is not um, you know above. They obviously have done sequels, many of them now, and especially more recently, they've been more willing to do them. So. Uh, that's not what I meant at all, but um, but yeah, I do I do like this movie, and I think it's uh it's worth revisiting uh, if you haven't seen it in a while because it's a lot of fun. Yep. All right, so at number four, I got fifty fifty. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna trump you on that one. I had a th- feeling. So what you got? My number four, and I promise uh, I I don't have an entirely animated list. Uh, but my number f- he he does do great voices for animation. Uh, mm-hmm. but my number four is Horton Hears a Who. Um, which is another animated movie I that I really I forgot he was in that. I swear I thought you were going to say another movie. And I'm like, no, I know, Aaron. In my head, I'm like, I think you messed up on your list because there's no way that other movie's that high. Did you think I was going but with Monsters here- vs. Aliens? Sure. And what were you thinking? Sausage Party. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, okay, but Horton, here's a who. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Seuss, interesting. I haven't seen this one, actually, so I can't comments on ah, it. yes uh well I've read it the is, book, i get it it is a lot of fun and if you've ever read the original book um it's good stuff it has uh not only seth rogan but are you ready for this voice cast because i'm gonna hit you with it uh steve carell nice. uh jim carrey oh carol burnett what will arnett amy poehler jonah hill jamie presley and more uh, who isn't up. in this movie <laughs> <laughs> right 
this is a lot of fun and is is really good. And uh, and Jim Carrey uh, really for me is probably the reason I love it so much. Um, but uh, but obviously uh, that that cast is it's hard to lose with uh, with that cast. So yep, Horton here's a who's a good one. Check it out. Sweet sauce. Okay, so my number three then. Yep. Uh, I'm gonna go with the 40 year old virgin. That is in my honorable mentions. This movie is just brilliant. Uh, I think that Steve Carell just kills it in this role. I think it's just beyond perfect for him. Uh, and then you have, of course, Seth Rogen. Uh, I almost said Paul Dano, but it is not Paul Dano. It is uh, Paul Rudd who is in that movie. And then uh, Romani uh, Malco in this and Catherine Keener. Elizabeth Banks, Leslie Mann, Jane Lynch. This movie's great. It's funny. Uh, you can watch it multiple times. And, uh, yeah, I uh, can't recommend enough. Just a uh, content warning. It is raunchy. <laughs> yes, unlike an American pickle. Uh, it is definitely yes. the, the raunch com, for sure. Um, Your number three. My number three is Anchorman. Uh, wow, you had a. Uh, I was this first my uh, my first honorable mention. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's in this movie for five seconds, <laughs> if that. Yes. Uh, yeah. But he is, and so I thought I'd mention it. Uh, Anchorman <laughs> has grown on me over time. I am. Many people know Will Ferrell is not my favorite uh, movie comedian. Um, I don't generally enjoy his stuff as much as most people do. Um, you talked about Step Brothers, which I think really plays into uh, his, um, you know, he, uh, his key strengths. And I think Anchorman mm-hmm. does even more. I think there's something because the Step Brothers things is a little heavy on the child part of the man child, whereas Anchorman really feels like legitimate, you know, man child to the exponential degree. You know, um, plus a miso- throwing a misogynistic era behind it. Uh, yes, and it just yeah. kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, lots of fun. Lots, you know, great cast. Speaking of Steve Carell, you know, uh, Paul Rudd, that whole crew. Uh, it is. Oh yeah. It's just it, it. There's something about it that I just I let myself just go to the silliness and have a good time. So yeah, Anchorman comes in at number three for me. Uh, before we move ahead, have you seen Anchorman one point five? I don't think I have. That's the one where they took like the. Like different takes, deleted scenes, and made an entirely another, another movie out of them. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't seen it. it. It's pretty good. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, I haven't seen Anchorman two. I just hear it's bad. Yeah. But, uh, now I would. Uh, you can watch Anchorman one point five on YouTube. So if you ever want to, uh, it's a fun watch. Okay. Cool. Uh, so my number two now. Yeah, I think you're on your number two. Uh, this is where I have Steve Jobs. I'll trump it. I knew it. Okay. Um, but this is where you have 50 then. It is indeed. Yeah. Uh, this is great, where, great movie. It is. It's, um, and I, you know what? Honestly, it's been a long time since I've seen it and I need to rewatch it. Um, but this is uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt, Seth Rogen, and is in that oh so popular category of cancer comedy, uh, which, you know, there's just a lot of those. I know sometimes it's hard. Uh, you can make a top 500 list of cancer comedies. Uh, no, there mm-hmm. aren't a lot of them because it's a very hard thing to pull off. And yet this movie pulls it off somehow. So, um, yeah, I, I really enjoy this movie. Yeah, I, I would actually, if somebody were to, you know, argue and say that this isn't a comedy, that it's a lighthearted drama, I'd go with that because 
there's there's not really that many funny parts to it. It it can be an insanely depressing movie. Oh sure, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, but Joseph Gordon-Levitt, great, and actually Seth Rogen as his friend who's like trying to help him through the whole thing, it does a really good job. And then this was when everybody uh, hated Bryce Dallas Howard because that's all she played is she played evil evil people people you know. Like it was like a one-two punch with this and the help. We're like, wow, Bryce Dallas Howard is just yeah. an awful person. But then, uh, no, she started doing other roles. You're like, oh, okay, I guess she's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good stuff. Well, so this is my number one then, which we have not talked about at all. I'm gonna go with Knocked Up. Oh, okay. I think that this is Seth Rogen's best move movie. His best performance. On top of his best movie. I think it's an even better movie than Steve Jobs because uh, we'll get to it in a minute. But I think that uh, this movie flows a lot better. And the fact that uh, it's a very personal movie with uh, the people who made it. So, uh, And it's really, besides, we, I was introduced to uh, Seth Rogen through Freaks and Geeks. Uh, but he wasn't really somebody that I'm like, because he was more of a background character really. Um, and then 40 year old virgin came along and he was like, you know, one of the, uh, you know, the supporting roles in that, but knocked up is where he became the leading guy. Mm -hmm. Um, and to see him with a uh, Catherine Heigl, um, the way that those two just play off of each other is brilliant. It's cause they're each perfect at the type of character that they're trying to portray, you know, uh, the bumbling idiot versus the workaholic, mm -hmm. you know, the career driven and that how they both have to try and figure out how to adjust their lives to this, you know, this thing that's happening to him, you know, becoming parents uh, with and becoming a parent with somebody who you don't really know. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a great movie. Yeah, underrated. I think it's very underrated. Well, uh, you're wrong, but that's okay. It's okay. Uh, you can be wrong every once in a while. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. You're, you are certainly in the majority on that. I don't really like Knocked Up. I, I didn't enjoy it. Uh, I didn't get it. Um, so it was, it was, and maybe I just need to watch it again this many years later. But um, I don't remember laughing that much. Uh, so, but you know, it's it's one of those things where uh, uh, what's his name? Um, the, the, the Apatow. Judd Apatow. Yeah, he's he's hit or miss for me. He really is. It's it's based on him. The story right. of what happened in Knocked Up is his life story. So. Right. Yeah. 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 Um. So no, I'm glad or you. I'm glad life. one of us mentioned it. Uh. Because that one that one wasn't going to be me. So. <laughs> yeah. But I do not. I do not fault you for Steve Jobs being at your number one. Dude, I get it. This movie is so good. Um. I I really this is another one that grows in my estimation over time and. Uh, I just, I think for whatever reason, these tech movies are going to become more and more prescient as our time goes on. I think of social network, I think of, you know, Steve Jobs, um, because we're going to have to continue to wrestle with the technology we love and then the people behind it and, yeah. and the personalities of the people behind it that make them perfect to create it sometimes also make them, uh, you know, very... Uh, you know, faulty heroes. Um, you know, they, they, uh, so it's just this, and this is one of those movies that delves into that in a very real way. The idea of how, how driven and how singular he was, 
um, is kind of what attracted people to him, and then what how what why he also destroyed people that were close to him. And yeah, uh, and I I just think the performances are great all around. Um, and man, I I, I dig the uh, the structure of this movie. Is, oh yeah, is great. Uh, and I think very effective. And you wouldn't think that if someone just told you, well, what we're going to do is we're going to base this movie around the different product launches and you're, it's just going to be those days. And it's like, well, you know, you're going to miss so much stuff. But somehow this movie manages to communicate everything it needs to communicate in those days. And I just think, you know, I mean, Sorkin's obviously a genius. Danny Boyle is, pr- you know, proven to do great work. Um, so... Yeah, this is this is one of my favorites from the last decade. Yeah, uh, and if you know the story behind the making of this, it's a it's a miracle this movie got made at all because yeah. there were three different people before Michael Fassbender who were supposed to play Steve Jobs, and then there were two directors before Danny Boyle who were supposed to direct this. It was either going to be Spielberg and then Nolan, and then it went to Danny or uh, uh, Spielberg and uh, David Finch Fincher. Mm, right, we're supposed yeah, yeah. To, uh, we're supposed to direct this, and then it was supposed to be uh, Christian Bale. Uh, uh, was it Matt Damon or Ben Affleck or Matt Damon or one of those guys? And then one other who was supposed to play Steve Jobs before it went to uh, Fastbender. But it just shows that you know, with patience and just waiting for the right people, you can make something good. And you and I, we are unapologetically lovers of Aaron Sorkin. Yes. So, uh, what, however the movie came out, there was a pretty good chance that it would have uh, turned out to something that we would like. Yeah. But uh, I think that Danny Boyle's visual, um, you know, the way he makes movies kind of like a almost psychedelic, but, you know, the way he played with the montages on the walls with this or something like that, the way he combines that with the dialogue fast-paced drivenness of Aaron Sorkin really is a it's a it's impressive I'll just call it that it's an impressive movie yeah yep uh that that Nolan idea is interesting I can almost feel this being a Nolan movie with the way it you know has the three different time frames and like Mm -hmm. you know I, I don't know that's that's an interesting thought I just I hope Sorkin is at least dabbling with a a a Facebook social network sequel uh because Obviously, it is going to be a a rough, a rough sequel. I mean, social network already was dark, but knowing what Facebook is going through right now, (laughs) social network two is going to be pretty rough. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, well, there you go. There's our best ever Seth Rogen movies. Uh, honorable mention wise, I've got like four uh, left that well, I got a bunch that so. didn't need to be uh, necessarily in my list. Uh, I mentioned. Um, Donnie Darko, which apparently Seth Rogen is in, but I don't remember that. Yeah. But uh, Hate that's that what—that's what Wiki said. Uh, Pineapple Express, I like more than most people. Um, uh, that's a great movie. Uh, Neighbors, I think, is really funny. And uh, this is the end. Uh, speaking of raunchy, uh, is also funny. So uh, I wanted to mention yeah. that one as well. Okay, um, we didn't mention Superbad, which is just great that's so that movie's so funny uh the disaster artist uh very close to making my top five i think that's a really good movie uh 22 jump street the sequel to 21 jump street right i think that uh 22 jump street because it could have been easy for them just to try and do a cash grab 
but how that movie is so meta and tries to make fun of all the cliches that bad sequels do. Mm-hmm. I'm all for that. Yep. Uh, uh, did we talk about The Night Before? No. I don't think we did, but uh, that's a pretty fun movie. I think that uh, Seth Rogen and his drug-fueled uh, bombardment across New York is what makes that movie really funny. Uh, we did mention Sausage Party, which I think is... it's. W- Forget about the last 10 minutes of that movie, <laughs> and the rest of it is like, oh, this is pretty funny. It's a pretty <laughs> interesting and fun way to, uh, you know, do uh, a really adult version of something that could easily have been a Pixar movie. You just, you cut out, you know, like, that premise of that, you know, how, oh, it, it's fun, frolicky, all the, uh, the, uh, the foods and stuff in the supermarket are, you know... animated now and they have you know physical beings you know and souls and stuff like that but then you just make it totally r-rated about what happens to food and stuff like that and then of course last 10 minutes holy crap i have thoughts on sausage party um that i don't know that i've expressed them in a while so allow me to express them again i think this could have been a movie i loved like loved loved what this movie appears to be doing in the first, uh, you know, half of this movie, though it's raunchy all the way through, uh, not not yeah. just that last, last 10 minutes, it's raunchy in a very smart way that I was like, oh, I see what you're doing here. This is interesting. This is fascinating. And it's like they got bored with being interesting about three quarters of the way through and were just like, eh, let's just shock people for the rest and then hope nobody notices we don't really have an ending. Um, and it's yeah. it's one of those things, one of the most disappointing things uh, I can remember. because Not because that last 15 minutes is, or last whatever is so, you know, over the top, raunchy, whatever you want to say. Vulgar, Vulgar. violent. It's, it's, I promise you it's not, it's not, the, it's not just the vulgarity. <laughs> it's it, not just the... <laughs> <laughs> it is primarily. No, I get what you're saying. It's lazy trying to make sense of how yes. people interact with the food. Yes. It, and it, how they, oh, drugs. Okay. That's. It, it is, it, it, it completely lets go of any desire to actually say something or make sense when the movie seemed like it could have said something very interesting and, and built a, an interesting idea of, you know. A world. So I just, I just, it was a very frustrating experience for me because I was like, I cannot believe I'm going to love this Seth Rogen movie as raunchy as it is. And then it got to the <laughs> end, and they were just like, ah, we're not interested in making a great movie. We're interested in in food orgies, you know. And it's just like, okay, fine, then make that the end of your movie. But I don't know. Yeah. It was, it was a frustrating experience. Yeah. Uh, the very last movie I'm going to mention. Uh, a lot of people don't like it. I thought it was funny enough for me to mention it, and that's Paul. The one with Simon Pegg and Nick mm-hmm. Frost. Yeah, I know and, the movie, uh, yeah. Seth Rogen as the alien. Uh, yeah, it, I like Paul. I think Paul's pretty funny. Obviously, it's not as funny as the Cornetto trilogy, which is what people, you know, compare it to because it's Simon Pegg and uh, Nick Frost. But uh, it's not trying to be. It's a different type of humor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there I... There we go. I, Paul was also disappointing to me, but I may need to go back and, and watch it again because I really don't remember necessarily a lot about it so it might just be one of those things you know where i need to need to kind of give it another shot Mm. but you remember liking it yeah uh it's honestly if you didn't like it when you first watched it it's not like for me where i would say i think you should give knocked up a second chance with paul i'm like ah yeah yeah if you if you didn't like it then 
you might not want to waste your time watching it again. But if you thought it was funny, I mean, the movie is not secretly a masterpiece. It's just yeah. a fun movie, I thought. Yeah. Well, there you go. There's our uh, best ever challenge for this week. Uh, let us know what we missed, what you like. We'd love to know your favorite Seth Rogen movies as well. Before we head on to the Sift Quest, a huge thank you to our Sift Pop members uh, for making Sift Pop a real thing. We really do appreciate you. Support starts three bucks a month. Lots of fun perks, including you get a bonus episode every week uh, where Andrew and I chat about a topic for a little bit. This week, Andrew brought up some changes in his top 100, and we discussed whether how you factor in franchises into your top 100 list and that, you know, what movies are in franchises aren't. It was kind of a fun discussion. I was glad you brought it up. But uh, that is for members at the Patreon. Patreon.com slash SiftPop. Would love to have you along. Thank you so much to those who support. Um, we truly couldn't do it without you. I will also mention some fun things in the works. We're looking at, even in this time, how to bring back the video show. Uh, we had just launched uh, pre-COVID. Uh, Sif Pop as a video podcast as well and we think we may have found a way that we're all comfortable with bringing that back so thank you to our members who make that possible we really couldn't do it uh, without you uh, so thank you for that if you want to check it out you can go to patreon.com slash Pop alright Andrew let's go on to the Sift quest for today this comes from Brad uh, who asks I'm a new listener and came to you through your work with CinemaSins you guys have hey. you guys have obviously been doing this a long time. What are the origins of Sif Pop? Um, well, it has been a long time. Uh, the very first mention of Sif Pop in the internet was May eighth of two thousand and twelve, um, which was uh, a segment of a podcast I was doing with Danae Hughes at the time, um, and that uh, podcast uh, still exists and has existed in different forms uh through the through the years but it's called shoe the dough and uh and so yeah so that was wow over eight years ago that uh <laughs> that Sif, that the idea of sif pop popped in and it was just the you know the pop culture segment of this more general show um that we did uh since you came to us through cinema sins it may interest you to know that uh those segments that we did on shoe the dough Included Jeremy Scott, the voice of CinemaSins. Uh, you know, we were we are friends, friends in college, and uh, always love talking movies with Jeremy. He's a fellow movie lover, and so uh, right before CinemaSins kind of broke, um, we started doing these segments uh, with him. So there are, I think, six of those segments. Um, they are listed in the Sif Pop feed uh, as. Coming pre-Sift Pop, there are 18 episodes that come before technically you start numbering the Sift Pop episodes, but they are back there in the podcast feed uh, that you can check out. Um, and then uh, after those six, we Shoe the Dough went on hiatus, and we started doing a pop culture YouTube show called The Critic, The Geek, and The Girl. Uh, Danae and I and uh, Captain Logan uh, from uh, a YouTube channel called Geekvolution. Uh, would do The Critic, The Geek, and The Girl as a bi-weekly uh, video show. And so those episodes are included as well. Uh, we did about 10 of those uh, over the course of uh, 2014, uh, and then a couple of them in 2015. Um, and then that gave way to uh, Josh Childs, who you've heard on the show as well, 
uh, who was in The Critic, The Geek, and The Girl towards the end. And then that transitioned into Sif Pop as you know it. The very first episode of this podcast was in June of 2015. Uh, it was on Jurassic World and Josh Childs uh, and Danae were my co-hosts. Um, and then we just kind of went from there. And it was kind of a rotating group of co-hosts, uh, including Josh, John Paula, who you still hear on the show, uh, Captain Logan, um, and a guy named Andrew Ormsby, uh, who first... Yeah. Appeared on the show in July of 2015 for Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Uh, and that was your first episode. So That's where it all began. What What is your, I mean, now that we've we've come up to kind of your uh, crossroads with Sif Pop, why don't you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, how Sif Pop developed for you, how we met, that kind of stuff. I'll let you answer this question kind of from your perspective. Yeah, well, uh, initially I had a uh, podcast with uh, some friends uh, back in the day. Uh, honestly, I can't even remember the name of it, but that let because it was only like three or four episodes. But it uh, gave way to the, uh, the my YouTube channel that I had called Flick Freaks, where uh, we started doing podcasts there and commentating on stuff like that. I was friends with Danae uh, for a very long time because I knew her husband. And um, she'd mentioned to me, uh, I'm friends with a guy named Aaron. He's a pretty cool dude. Uh, he likes movies. I know you do too. You guys should chat. Then you and I met initially at a poker game. And uh, we were talking about movies and stuff like that. Told me I should come on and be a guest on the podcast one day. And it was for Mission Impossible. And I gotta say, starting off my with my Sith Pop career being with Rogue Nation... That's a pretty good way to start off, you know, Sip Pop. <laughs> yeah. There, there could have been so many movies during that time where I came out and I'm like, oh, this is an awful movie. But uh, no, uh, I think that me being local, you know, helped lend to me, you know, being able to come in and be a guest on the show. Uh, and uh, I think that we, you and I, we just kind of had some good chemistry, uh, you know, playing off of each other. And uh Eventually, uh, I, I quit YouTube. Uh, it just wasn't working for me. And then uh, uh, I just became a full-time annoyance for Aaron. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's been an interesting journey for sure. Uh, Danae, who still is on the show occasionally and has a standing invite to be on any time she wants to as a host emeritus. Host emeritus. Uh, she co-hosted the show for the first 52 episodes uh, and then finally decided uh why, why am i co-hosting a pop culture show when i don't really love pop culture uh yeah. it was kind of one of those specifically things- movies she's not like an avid like right you know movie fanatic or right thing like us i remember it may have been the first episode i was on how you and i were bonding over our love of list making mm-hmm. yeah and uh she was not she was not about that no no and so, uh, and so, yeah. So, Danae, uh, who also works for Cinema Sins now, by the way, and you you can hear her on the Behind the Sins podcast that we do uh, for Cinema Sins. Um, yeah, she was on the first fifty two episodes, and then Andrew took over as full time co host. After that, we continued to have a rotating group of um, guests come on occasionally, and uh, that lasted pretty much through two thousand and eighteen. Um, and then it's been kind of just Andrew and I doing our thing, and we'll occasionally have guests on. Um, and now with what we're thinking about doing with the video, it might be a more common occurrence to have guests on even via video. So, uh, some interesting things in development, 
Um, and, uh, and we appreciate you sticking with us for however long, uh, you've been around, uh, Brad, thank you for kind of asking the question. Cause it's, it's a good thing to kind of think back over the last eight years and, you know, figure out, uh, how this happened and, and what it means yeah. and, and what you it know, is. So. It started with you, Danae and Captain Logan. And then, you know, now it's, uh, with, uh, Danae and then you, and then, you, me, and now you, me, and Phil, you know? That's right. Yeah, Phil's been a big part of that, too. I, I You're right. We should, we should definitely tell his part of the story, too, because, uh, you know, Phil has been a guest on the show. Uh, he comes to us through the Horrible Movie Podcast, uh, and I met him through Jack Altermat, who's also been on the show, and uh, mm-hmm. they do the Horrible Movie Podcast, which is on hiatus, uh, although I did I think I saw a new episode recently. Um, so maybe they just decided they wanted to to go back into that. They also do the uh, Disney Plus Reviews podcast on the Studio DNA Network. Uh, if you're interested in stuff that's on Disney Plus, uh, you can check that out. Um, so yeah, so but Phil produces the shows on the network and specifically produces Sif Pop, and uh, and does such a great job. And uh, and yeah, he's I think the first time he was ever on as a, an official guest. Unless I'm missing one, uh, was Power Rangers in March of 2017. Mm. Um, so Jack was on before that, uh, at least once, twice it looks like. Uh, so, so yeah. Um, but Phil, as a guest, I think that was the the one he did was the uh, Krispy Kreme movie. I mean Power Rangers. Sorry, I get I get those mixed up sometimes. No, I think you're right. It's the Krispy Kreme movie. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Brad. We appreciate the question. If you have any questions for Sif Pop, uh, feel free to hit us up. Feedback at SifPop.com or just hit me up in my uh, Twitter DMs. They are wide open. Uh, that's at Aaron Dicer on Twitter. Um, all right. Let's finish up with our buried treasure. Andrew, what's that one thing in any area of pop culture you want to make sure people know about? Uh, it's kind of you know out there already, but I'm going to go with the Umbrella Academy Season 2. Uh, just launched on Netflix, and uh, if you're a fan of uh, superheroes and like origin stories and stuff like that, and different, not like your you know run of the mill Marvel or DC, this is something pretty unique, and uh, I think it's fascinating and very well done. Ellen Page is great in it. She's not a uh, stranger to you know being in superhero stuff, but uh, she makes this her own. I think it's really good. It's more of you know. It's more of them being people as opposed to them being superheroes, which I think is interesting. I've been curious about this, um, and uh, I'm glad you brought it up because obviously there there are many shows that I could pull the trigger on, and I've been really close to pulling the trigger on this one and checking it out. But you know, what would if you're selling it to me? What would be your primary sales point for the reason I should finally kind of click on? Uh, that Netflix box. Mm, uh, I would say that the basic premise of the show is there are a bunch of children who are born all on the same day to mothers who were not pregnant five minutes before they had the kids. Uh, a billionaire buys all the kids and raises them as foster children because he knows that they're going to be special, like super pe- superheroes. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's about how... Him raising them in that lifestyle of not like a loving, caring, you know, family-oriented facility leads to some pretty emotional, psychological damaging things happening to these kids. Yeah. So whenever, uh, you know, forces of evil, you know, finally do come, you have, I 
I would hesitate to say hesitate to say mentally unstable people, but uh, uh, troubled people and how they would have to deal with those types of things. Um, the character development in the show is priority, and it's fascinating to see the world building around what is going on. It's definitely one of those shows that, uh, kind of like the first couple seasons of Lost, uh, it would answer one question, but then give you two more questions, you know, for mm-hmm. the next episode. Yeah, uh, it, It's it's kind of like that, uh, and I, I'm really liking it. Season one, you can kind of say, is a little bit, like one thing is kind of predictable, but season two is just crazy, and I love it. I think season two is better than season one. They're both good, though. Good. All right, I may have to check it out. Um, what that, you got? That'd be Umbrella Academy season two on Netflix. Uh, I'm going to yes. talk about a podcast. Um, it is from uh, Malcolm Gladwell. It's called Revisionist History. And oh yes. I wanted to bring this up because I couldn't remember if I've ever talked about it before, but it's you know deep into its fifth season, and I've never seen a podcast do seasons as well as Revisionist History has, which is basically they'll produce. I think 10-ish episodes and release it as a season week by week and then they'll take some time off to develop the new ones and then release another season and it's on season five and this is probably of my podcast the one that I when I see a new one pop up I'm most excited to go what is Malcolm Gladwell going to make me think about this time and he just has such a uh, uh, one of those brains that that really is able to exist outside of the paradigm and he shifts paradigms so well that, that he sees things that you wouldn't necessarily see. Now, you may know this from some of his books. Uh, the Tipping Point was, I think, his first one that went big. Blink is one of my favorites. Um, Outliers is also another big one. Um, and so he's obviously a very successful author. But when you listen to these podcasts, you really get a sense for how his how his brain navigates the ideas. And And for many of these topics, and there are many of them, he is saying things that, though they aren't necessarily controversial, they are definitely outside of the box. They are definitely not the way, you know, I, I think this is just an example. I think this was like season two. Um, but he does a philosophical investigation of golf courses and how rich people are addicted to golf that just kind of blew my mind. And <laughs> it's just, it's one of those things that... Uh, that thought-provoking. Just, yeah, it's very, very thought-provoking. So if that's something you want in your life... Um, and I almost said if you listen to podcasts, uh, but I think I know you do. I have a sneaking suspicion that you listen to podcasts. <laughs> just a thought. Um, this might be one to check out. Uh, again, it's called. Revi- nope, my mom converts these podcasts to CDs so I can listen to them. <laughs> That's right. Your mom does that for you, huh? That's a great mom. Yeah. That's a great mom. Mom, can I have the new Sif Pop CD? No, I'm not going to lie. My mom doesn't know how podcasts work. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, your your mom's converting them to CD and then selling them to you. How much for the new Sif Pop CD, mom? Uh, that's going to be $5, son. $5. Uh, so anyhow, Revisionist History is the name of the podcast, and I highly encourage to the, you to check that out. It's uh, very interesting. Lots of good thought awesome. and stuff. Well, we did it, man. We did it. Yeah. We, we uh, put, put this podcast in the brine and let it soak up all those beautiful podcast juices. Aaron, no matter how long you are brined, you will always be interesting to me when you come out the other side. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. 
Uh, thanks so much for joining us today for Sif Bob. It is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about other shows on the network at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. Huge thanks to Andrew for joining today. Thank you, buddy. Huge thanks to producer Phil. Thanks, Phil. Much love and gratitude to our Sif Pop members as well for giving monthly to make Sif Pop a real thing. Sports starts at three bucks a month. You get access to every bonus episode as well as some other fun perks. Uh, you can find out more at patreon.com slash siftpop, S-I-F-T-P-O-P. Uh, lots of ways to connect with us. Uh, feedback at siftpop.com is our email. You can uh, message me on Twitter, at Aaron Dicer, if you want to follow or message there. You can also leave comments, rate us, review us uh, at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. That helps out quite a bit. And finally, if you're having a good time, your movie-loving friends will probably like it too, so let them know about it and that listening is much easier than surviving 100 years in a vat of pickle brine. Um, (laughs) We will be back next week. Not sure exactly what we're doing yet, um, but we will let you know when we do. Bye. Bye.